0: this is going to be the longest sermon I've ever preached. Oh no. You've got a lunch appointment, right? Actually, it is a long sermon. In fact, it covers 13 chapters. And it took us about, I think it was 13 months to go through the book of Hebrews. And this morning... We're going to take a Shinkansen ride through the book of Hebrews. Okay, I guess we don't use uh, seatbelts for the Shinkansen, do we? Anyway, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us. We're looking to Jesus. It's been our theme all this past year. This is a experience that I trust was instrumental in your life. To be able to get hold of not just the book of Hebrews, but the whole panorama of who Jesus Christ is. What the whole Bible is all about. What is Christianity all about. All of this is packed in there, in this book. And that's what I have fallen in love with. I've told you my wife Katie, her favorite book. She said, if I had to go to prison there would be one book that I would tear out of my Bible and sneak it in my backpack and take it to prison with me. It's the book of Hebrews. And I have personally fallen in love with that book as well. We're going to go through the 13 chapters and pick out where it says that Jesus is better than whatever is described there. This is not going to be a message that will be inspirational in that sense, but it will be foundational and so that we can kind of just pull everything together that we talked about in this last year and pack it down and take it with us. So here we go. I'll read just a portion of it as we dive in here. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And so we pick up and have highlighted that much better than, and that is our theme going through these 13 chapters. Verse 3 says, Like Father, like Son. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And it is Jesus that holds the world together. He's the one that came and redeemed, laid down his life for those who would follow so that what we had destroyed of God's plan What we had marred of that purpose, divine purpose, Jesus Christ as a man has come and brought that to a redemptive place in God's economy, his forgiveness, his recognition, even in his holiness, has embraced those who put their trust in his son. That's as much stake as God the Father has put in his own son. And it's not just that a man came and died on the cross. It is the whole purpose of the universe, I believe, was packed into this person who came over 2,000 years ago, walked in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee, as a man like me, as a man like you, man being mankind. Men, women, children, Jesus Christ came for every one of us. Whether that person or you reject him, yet he died for you. And his redemption is offered for you, but if you refuse it, what more can he do? And so he's inviting us Come to me, come to me, all you that labor are heavy burdened with your sin. And I will give you real rest. Not just rest from the Tokyo heat, but rest for your soul. That is what Jesus Christ came to do for us. And entering into that rest in Jesus Christ brings a revolution in your life so that you are not the same person that you once were. You have been changed into his likeness from the inside out. That is the Christian message. That is the word that we should be sharing with our family and our friends and those who are sharing with us their unrest. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. First, we're going to look at better than angels, better than mankind, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than possession, a better kingdom, and a better altar and city. Father, we ask you to help us now through all of this information and allow us to grasp those truths that you want us to take home today. And may the Holy Spirit remind us throughout this week, this month, the rest of our lives of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If we look at the original language of the opening sentences of Hebrews, the author interestingly does not mention the name of Jesus until the middle of chapter 2. However, for those who recognize Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, as the Son of God, it was very clear who the author was writing about. And he's saying these these things. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. What is the point? What is the objective of the writer of Hebrews? He was very aware that some of those who would read this letter or hear his sermons would be put off without first hearing the argument of Jesus being truly the Son of God, the Messiah. And so he lays about a two-chapter foundation there for these who are new to this new Christian understanding of what it means to be a Christian and putting it together with what they had learned and what their families for generations had known about Jehovah and that it came then truly to their understanding. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the law and all the processes that they went through to be holy, to approach God, that he was indeed the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because that congregation was mixed, just like we are here at MCC this morning, from many nations here, mostly from Japanese, but there's some of us that stand out apart from being Japanese, and we're the foreigners, we're the wanderers, We're the ones that have come to this place. But there's one thing that draws us here, particularly here in this room, and that is Jesus Christ. We acknowledge him, and we become part of each other. The author wanted to establish the better than of Jesus Christ over the previous hopes and wishes of the Hebrew people. The book or letter or series of sermons that this may be are consistent in the arguments put forward that Jesus Christ is the Son of God spoken of through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the prophets, Moses, David, Isaiah and many, many more in these last days. Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 7:14 Behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In Luke chapter 2 it says Behold I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people for today in the city of David there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And we've talked about that where these angels burst in the presence of these shepherds that were out on the hills in the middle of the night with great light. And it says, an angel of the Lord delivered this. Hint the hint you will find this promised Christ, the Savior, wrapped as a baby in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes means swaths or strips of clothing. And you'll find him lying in a manger. Remember we talked about that? You that were here last Christmas? About what it, where was Jesus born? And, you know, we have an image of he was born in a dirty, stinking stable with cows and camels and sheep and goats. And No, he wasn't. He wasn't born in a manger like that. They knew, these shepherds knew exactly where he was born by the fact that this baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes as a lamb, a newborn lamb. He was born in Migdal Eder, which is the tower of Eder, which is no longer there. But in ancient days, that tower was the place for the birthing of temple lambs to be slaughtered, to be given for a sacrifice. What a sign. What a sign for us. What a sign it was for the shepherds to find this baby. He has inherited a more excellent name than the angels. Let all the angels of God worship him. In chapter 1, verse 6. Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. This was the promise for this child born, Jesus Christ. To which of the angels is the ever said, Sit at my right hand. There's not an angel that he had instructed. God the Father had instructed. But only his son, Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13. It says, If the word spoken through angels proved unalterable or unchanged, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And secondly, Jesus is better than mankind in chapter 2, 5 to 18. You made him a little lower, a little while lower than the angels. Lower in the angels? He was greater than the angels, but he became a man and he walked as a man on this earth and he fulfilled all of the law down to the last letter of the law and he fulfilled it on behalf of all mankind, so that he could be our stand-in when we were condemned, and when we were condemned to death, eternal hell. He is the one that said, I will cover it. And he became the sacrificed lamb, the true lamb of God, of all the thousands and thousands of lambs that were slain, along with all the other animals, bulls, goats, doves, all of that, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And that is why we can put our trust solidly in him as our savior. It was fitting for him to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. He suffered for us. He suffered because of our sin. Even though he had no sin of his own, he suffered for me. He suffered for you. That's the thrill of the Christian message. That this was done on behalf of me, a sinner, by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That is it. That's the Christian message in a nutshell. That's what we're being called to believe in and to trust in. Not in our own righteousness, not in our rags and filthiness, but in his perfection as a man. Where Adam failed us, where our natural father failed us. Jesus Christ is the stand in, he is the sacrifice lamb. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And even while we're in that state of temptation and we're listening and we're thinking, no, I don't want to do that, but something in me goes after this. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And by his Holy Spirit that he puts in the hearts of those who trust in him, the Holy Spirit whispers in a soft and small voice, trust in me. Believe that I have protected you and I cover you so that you don't enter into sin. In my strength, take rest. In what I have done on the cross, take rest in that. You don't need to struggle to try to be a good Christian. Nobody can be a good Christian in the sense of, I'll try as hard as I can. We can't. It's impossible for us. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to trust in the one who did it all for us and hung on the cross for us and was able to then become the sacrificed lamb for every one of us. Trust in him today. Believe in him. Receive what he has for you of salvation. He knows your heart. He knows what he died for. And his Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Listen to him. Receive him. And you will find rest to your soul. Number three, he's better than Moses. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was a a leader of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Really a picture of Jesus, who found us in this world, like Moses went back and found the children of Israel and led them out of Egypt. A life of slavery. A life of no identity. Yes, they were known as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they had no recognition nationally speaking. In fact, they had become slaves in Egypt even though their great leader Joseph had set the precedent for who they were as a people. And they helped, some people say, build the pyramids that still remain as a witness of what they labored for in Egypt on the backs of Israelis, of a people that weren't a people at all. And he brought Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's court by a fluke, it's something that shouldn't have ever happened. Where Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the Nile to refresh herself in the Nile waters. And there's a man-made basket floating in the bulrushes. And she asks a certain, bring that to me. And in there is a baby who had been hidden from those executioners who were killing all the male children of the Israelis. In some ways, this is a picture of Jesus Christ who came to our world as the Son of God, but as a man to redeem us, to bring us back to Creator God, our Father. But Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house even as Moses was faithful in his. And let us be diligent to enter that rest only by trusting in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ do we find true rest. And that's what Moses had performed for Israel. But even they would not receive the message because Moses was not the Savior. There was another one that was greater than Moses, and that would be Jesus Christ. He was better than Aaron. In chapter 4, verse 14 to ten, eighteen, 18, a long passage there, that the Hebrew writer takes a lot of time right in that middle section to try to describe what Aaronic law was all about. What was it all about? And that is described in those chapters piece by piece that we went through. It says that our high priest was the one who has passed through the heavens. Romans 1.4 Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to be the high priest. No, he was made a high priest by the Father. By the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. This is whom I have chosen. And the plan of Jesus Christ was very intricate in following the specifics and the details of the preparation, the bringing together of all of the Jewish law in order to become that Lamb of God. Very specific. And if we look at the Old Testament, we understand All that that was about was pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God. It wasn't for that particular day that a a priest would choose a lamb and slay it, sprinkle the blood. That wasn't the ultimate. That wasn't the reason. It was pointing to something else that was coming that would be much better. And that's what the Hebrews Writer is saying, his blood, his sacrifice is much better than all those animals slaughtered. And Jesus did not grasp at that for himself, but was chosen by the Father. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we talked about this king priest Melchizedek who he was and what was the conclusion that we came to who was this Melchizedek can any of you remember very strange person in the Old Testament came out of nowhere and showed himself Jesus became not only the priest but he also became the sacrifice all bundled into one for us, for you, for me, so that we could be joined to the Father. Though our sins were as filthy rags, yet we have become clean. We have become redeemed. We are covered. And what kanji speaks to us of that? I can't let that go. We all know. Incredible. I hope you will never, ever forget that kanji. The lamb over me. I am considered righteous. Hitsuji ware. Being covered by the lamb of God. My sins are covered. They're erased I stand perfect before my brothers and before almighty God that is the message of the gospel of the bible and the Japanese kanji gi says it all Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant it's better than money in the bank He's better than anything that we could hope to achieve in our life to give us credit for eternal life. He entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle. The tabernacle, his body. He gave himself wholly for our redemption. Better than the sacrifices of thousands and thousands of animals. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, but into heaven to appear before God. And so God himself acknowledges this priest and what is he carrying? What does he offer? He offers his own blood. His own blood. This doesn't make a lot of sense other than the fact that he is the lamb, he is the sacrifice and this is the only way that our sins could be washed away. He's the better possession. Let us hold without wavering for he who promised is faithful and God has promised in his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, most famous Bible verse in the world. Basis of our faith is not on what we will gain, but who we put our faith in as our reality. Our hope, our faith is based on the promise of Jesus Christ. He said, we believe it and it is so. Strangers, exiles desire a better country that is the heavenly one. There are more refugees in the world today than it have ever been. Do you know that? We don't have that problem here in Japan. But every major country in the world has refugees, displaced people, people that don't have a home to call their own millions, millions in that state. Now, what does this have to do with this? The fact that we are in an age these days when this message is most pertinent, it is most important, that we understand here in this country, we are very privileged Yet we are the country that does not understand Christianity or does not acknowledge it. What is there? Less than half of 1% of Japanese are willing to stand up and say, I am a Christian. In a country like this. But there are many, many, like ourselves, or similar to us, that don't know the message of Jesus Christ in this country. And we need to Understand that when we're riding on a train, when we're going out into the marketplace, when we're on the streets, we who have the truth should be the first ones to share the good news of where the water is, where eternal life is. That is our joy and that is our privilege as those who live here in Japan. And I'm not just speaking to the Japanese among us. I'm talking to all of us who cannot call ourselves Japanese, whether we're North Americans or Southeast Asians or Europeans. We have a responsibility too to speak boldly for who we have been embraced as believers, as those who have a heavenly home and assurance. And having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Meaning that we as believers in this day and age, God was waiting, 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 waiting for this time in world history to let his message be Broadcast throughout the world, and as we've mentioned before, how many of you have a dozen or a half a dozen Bibles on your cell phone? Different translations? Those of you from China, I was shocked when Jean's parents came and they were talking to us about the fact that, yeah, Jean's dad, who is a believer, has several translations on his cell phone in China but we've been sending Bibles to China. Well, they already have Bibles in China. In some places, they don't have internet, though. So we're still sending Bibles to China. The word of God has never been spread around the world like it is today. And yet, there are still many, many millions who have not heard or embraced the reality of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. A better kingdom. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. And if we look in the world today on news, world news, I don't see any kingdoms out there that I really would like to be a citizen of. Not even the United States. You know, it is getting to where The news is so, so gross that it's beginning to affect my attitude by just reading some of the stories that are in the news today. We are in the last days, folks. This is our opportunity to share with our families, to share with our friends, to share with our neighbors about the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a better kingdom. But that takes discipline. And we talked about discipline. None of us like discipline. We had earthly fathers to discipline us. Shall we much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? Our fathers weren't perfect. But our heavenly father is. And that's who our trust is in. And we want to be like him. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. For we have not come to a mountain, blazing fire, darkness, gloom, whirlwind, blast of a trumpet, sound of words, so terrible a sight, fear and trembling. That's what it was to come to Mount Sinai. The law. But we have a Savior who came and fulfilled all the law for us. But you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion, the highest point of Jerusalem. Our king has come to Mount Zion. We're looking for a better altar and a better city. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. That's what he's focusing in on the last chapters of his letter or sermon. And we've come to the General Assembly, the church of the firstborn, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That is our Savior. That is the Lamb of God, Jesus, the one who has become our Redeemer. And we have an altar. So let us go out to him outside the city, bearing his shame. Yes, it is inconvenient. It is sometimes awkward to be sitting on a train and talking with a friend or someone that you just met and sharing the gospel with them. It seems to be so incongruous. It doesn't fit the occasion. Have you ever had that experience when you've sat with someone in an airplane for five hours, and the first hour you're getting kind of getting to know each other, and then you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, and then there's this wall that comes up, and you've got the next four hours to sit there kind of twiddling your thumb, so what do I I talk about now? You ever had that experience? Uncomfortable. Bearing his shame. But let the balance be true by the fact that better to take the chance and be a fool for Christ than to let someone die in eternity. There's an obligation that we have because of the fact that we've been given so much, so much of us will be required. For here we do not have a lasting city. We are seeking the city which is to come. And the new Jerusalem, right? That's what we're looking for. When we all get home and we get to heaven there and we say, you're here. Won't that be so glorious to be there? And to know that your name is in heaven. You're known there. What a a day that's going to be. And I've already said, half of eternity we will be spending talking about how we got here. Well, you know that that's an overstatement because there is no half of eternity. Eternity is eternity. I think we'll be taking a lot of time just sharing our story with one another. And we will be surprised who is there. And God have mercy that every one of us in this room will be there having put our trust in Jesus Christ. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God.